0: feel like I also usually don't trust people if they don't like olives. Cooking is essentially just another way for me to be submissive. I've
1: lived in my apartment for five or six years and I've never turned the stove on. Tell me what you had for lunch and I'll tell you what it means. Welcome to Lunch Therapy. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. I hope you liked that nifty new introduction. That was one of the perks of moving my podcast over to Substack, and it was made by someone named Seven Morris. So thanks so much, Seven. That's an awesome introduction. And just in case you didn't get last week's podcast, if you would like to get this podcast in your inbox every week with some bonus material, including recipes, and have access to an additional podcast on Thursdays with bonus questions, I keep saying bonus, but additional fun questions with that week's guest, sign up for my Substack. You can do that by going to amateurgourmet.substack.com and not only will you get the podcast every week, you'll also get my newsletters, which are filled with recipes, restaurant reviews, and links. So it's a win-win all around. My patient today is Andy Barragani who you probably know as the former food editor of Bon Appetit. His videos were a viral sensation, and now he's working as a freelance food writer, and his new cookbook, The Cook You Want to Be, comes out on April 23rd. So without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Andy Barragani Well, Andy, it's so nice to finally meet you. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. I don't know if happy to be here. So uh, tell me, are you doing well? How's life? (laughs) Uh, I am doing really well. I'm very excited. I feel like it's like a beautiful day in New York. It's very, very sunny. I know listeners can't see it, but it's very, very bright over here. He's
1: lit up by the sun right now. He looks like he's in a biblical painting or something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel very satisfied and nourished. I had a, a, a filling lunch. Uh, Ooh, I'm excited I'm, to hear about it. Yeah, I'm also just very excited to get my my cookbook out into the world this coming spring. It's feel like it's such a endeavor, and I'm so excited. So, a lot on my mind. There's a lot of things happening, but um, I'm feel very happy and excited.
1: Tell us about your cookbook. What's it called?
0: The book is called The Cook You Want to Be. Mm-hmm. I actually just got that man's copy last week, and <laughs> I was oh nice. Uh, I was like my editor sent me a message and along with my agent and they're like, did you receive the copy? And I, I, I didn't, I wasn't responsive. And then I think my agent like sent me my book agent sent me a message, you know, it'd be great just to hear from you. And I said, I've been crying for about an hour. <laughs> I'm going to come back up. And I promise like, I will obviously send you. Oh. I did, but I think, um, no, it was such a, obviously it was, it's my first book. And I was so overwhelming and I just felt so, Grateful, grateful, you know, to have just been able to accomplish it, but really just grateful for the amount of people that, um, were a part of the whole experience and helped me from the creative team, to my publisher age, everybody. There's so many people who touch this book. Um, but to answer your <laughs> question, uh, The Cook You Want to Be, it comes out, uh, end of April, April 26th. Um, Please pre-order. It's a big help, and it really is. It's it's actually quite personal. It's it's about the lessons I've learned throughout my life as a cook thus far. I should mm-hmm. say, it um it talks about or I should I write about my lessons that I've learned from working in restaurants, working in restaurants in California and, and New York and Paris, but also uh, my time in test kitchens mm-hmm. and really kind of learning how to develop recipes and passing that uh, to readers along with just growing up uh in a Iranian household being first generation Iranian American and how that kind of definitely shaped mm, and influenced uh my approach to the kitchen and my flavor profiles and and definitely the way I kind of uh a cook is definitely inspired by my upbringing um along with my travels I feel like a big uh, inspiration of mine is traveling and getting out mm-hmm. there and so these are kind of the four kind of experiences that have made up uh, my kind of identity as a cook mm-hmm. so I really tried to kind of pass those lessons a lot of stories essays and obviously plenty of recipes I think it's clocked at like 110 uh recipes um and a lot of tidbit information about techniques and ingredients so uh I want people to use it and really kind of just get it beautifully stained. I, I even write like in the beginning, I want it beautifully stained with a ton of Oh, yeah. I've already stained
1: Carla Lely Music's book because I've been cooking. I made her cauliflower pasta in that book and I got I splattered like anchovy oil all over it. So, <laughs> so yeah.
0: it's, it's that, it's it's certainly not a it's not a coffee table yeah. book.
1: So what are the recipes that you're most excited about that are in the book? Or is that a spoiler alert?
0: So we not know yet. Oh, oh my God. I really, I, I, it's crazy to say I have so many recipes I love that I, I don't want to pick favorites quite yet. I will say just like, I will say that if you are a vegetarian, a lo- I've been getting a lot of questions like, oh, are there a lot of vegetarian recipes or vegan recipes? The biggest chapter is uh, the vegetable recipe mm-hmm. <laughs> or the vegetable chapter. Uh, and I think like after that is probably the salad chapter. Okay. But I've. Plenty of meat and seafood and um, snacks and eggs. Um, And so it really touches on a a, a range of dishes.
1: Oh my Uh, God, I'm so excited. That sounds wonderful. So in terms of, is this your first book, your first cookbook?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's my first cookbook. So So
1: before we get to your lunch, I'm just curious for those who've never written a cookbook, what was your process like? How did you lay it all out? And how did you test the
0: recipes and figure out how you wanted to organize it? That's a great question because I think... You know, when I first uh, wrote the proposal for the book and eventually sold the proposal, I think uh, a lot of people would tell me who have written books, oh, you're you're ahead. You've been developing recipes for years. Like you, you, you have this. This should be a piece of cake. Lies. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's 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 very different than obviously a magazine or um, a website you, this is, it's a, it's a, it's, it's something where it's, it's that much more personal. It's mm-hmm. not a, it's this not a, a brand per se. It, it's, it's all me. It all falls on me in that sense. And so I really tried to think of, uh, you know, at the same way, I guess I approach recipes in, in, in other jobs that I've had is what am I craving mm-hmm. and how do I pass this food, these, these dishes? Into people's homes, so they actually make it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've learned working in the food world, especially in food media, that uh, you can have a recipe that may call for, let's say, a hard to find or obscure ingredient. But if you're calling for that ingredient and then you have a lot of steps, it probably kind of pushes the the reader the the home cook away. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flip side. You can have a recipe that has plenty of steps, but if the but you want to make sure the ingredients are quite short and accessible. So mm-hmm. always kind of finding the balance. The goal is obviously for people to make it and love the recipes and fall in love with them and then hopefully be empowered to, you know, have riffs and kind of adapt mm-hmm. the recipe to their own life. Um, But my approach was very much similar to how I develop recipes where uh, I had a TOC and I had all my ideas, all my chapters, and I only like, had like kind of rough recipe names, knew that this was kind of going to evolve and change and recipes would be added and cut and the recipe names would be changed. Um, I knew that pretty much the majority of the recipes were going to serve for uh, four people. Mm-hmm. I was kind of centered. And then um, from there, I I'm someone who... who I enjoy writing an outline of the recipe Mm -hmm. before I start cooking. Some people, they just will, you know, take notes on a blank piece of paper, but I like having a bit of a template Mm -hmm. to work with. And then I kind of almost fill it in and and adapt and change. And um, so I tested, tasted, tested again, tasted, took reference photos. And then once it felt right, uh, those recipes would be passed to a processor to ensure that it worked. And then... um, and then those recipes. Uh, were shot, styled, and shot, and yeah, and then it goes through the whole process. Well, that's
1: I love what you said about cooking what you crave because I think a lot of people don't do that at home when they're if, they're if they don't cook a lot, they they'll like do something they feel like they're supposed to do or make a recipe that you know is like a textbook recipe as opposed to just thinking about like what are you what are you craving right now and then cooking to suit yourself because then I think that's the best way to satisfy yourself, which is probably why so many people love your cooking so much.
0: You no, know, I think it's so important. I think. You know, and I re- I can very much am aware of a time in my uh, when I first started developing recipes and entering food media. I wasn't developing, you know, for for myself, and I don't even think I was developing for the reader. I think I was developing more for um, what I thought would would um, be impressive mm-hmm. to my superiors. Right. But the truth, it's like I really had to. I had a moment I, I'll never forget. And I really have to ask myself, like, what what am I cooking every day? What am I cooking on the weekends during the week? What are, what are the snacks that I'm making? Mm-hmm. What is it that I'm drawn to? Um, and then I really was able to kind of hone in on what, uh, what are those key techniques and flavors and ingredients that I use. And luckily, I think people have been very generous and have enjoyed my recipes over the years. And have been making them and I hope I'm very excited to give them this kind of new set of recipes to cook from.
1: Yeah. Well, I think this is a perfect transition speaking of what you crave. Uh-huh. to what you had for lunch today. So Andy, what did you eat for
0: lunch today? So I will say that I have been very, um, I was not very healthy or I haven't been very healthy. Okay. <laughs> uh, the full transparency with the last, uh I'd say two years, especially in the pandemic. And I'm someone who was like, I think pre-pandemic, I was very active, Mm -hmm. um, not just at the gym, but just I was very active physically. And um, obviously, I had to taste a bunch of recipes and dishes and I would go out and eat. But I was also like pretty conscious of like what I was putting into my body. Um, But I think I just let myself go. I have to say (laughs) I don't, I don't regret it at all. Yeah. I am so happy for every extra serving of cookie cake, uh, the few, uh, uh, can of Cokes that I decided to build.
1: Yeah. You got to let yourself
0: enjoy I yourself like, once in a while. Yeah. Like swapping out the like vinaigrettes for the creamy dressings. I have <laughs> no Regret. But I think I am like starting to very much transition back to, uh, just eating healthier. And I think both my partner and I wanna, wanna get back to doing that. So uh, I didn't have the most exciting lunch, I'll say, but I would say it was very delicious. I tend to do a big batch of grains, sometimes a single or or a mixed batch of grains. Usually, sometimes earlier in the week or on a Sunday, it could be a mix of bulgur, excuse me, farro or fritke. And I'll add some bulgur at the end because uh, it cooks, uh, it doesn't really take any time to cook. Um, And then I'll have these kind of just this base of grains Mm -hmm. to kind of use throughout the week, uh, stir fried or cold. And so this was a cold grain salad, uh, really kind of thick mustardy dressing, lots of Dijon, lemon juice, lemon zest, uh, a little bit of shallot. Um, I usually will just kind of do like a simple creamy mustard dressing that's happens to be. I'm so not like someone who's like labels things vegan or this, but Mm -hmm. it is happens to be vegan, but very, very creamy. And then um, a bunch of cucumbers. I feel like I eat a Persian cucumbers or any cucumber for that matter, every single day, Mm -hmm. my favorite thing. So I crushed those up and um, then I just kind of added some kimchi. Uh, I'm forgetting, and I need to ch- a check, but like a thing of kimchi, a boiled egg, and then I have been, like so many people, I feel like, become obsessed with fly-by-ging, mm-hmm. chili oil. Sure. And chili crisp. So I spin some of that over the, uh, the cucumber. So it was like a very crunchy, veg-forward uh, bowl that, um, it definitely filled me up, but um, I am f- dying for like a... F- Fatty steak, but I will. I, I will. see.
1: Okay. Cause you started this by saying that you've been eating unhealthy lately. So when you said your lunch was a green bowl, I was like, that actually sounds very healthy, but that wasn't, that was
0: a response to the unhealthy. I definitely just was eating pretty much whatever I wanted. And generally, my food is, I would say, you know, on um, maybe I, I don't, I would never, say, I don't want to call it healthy, but a lot of my recipes are definitely, you know, vegetable heavy, um, olive oil over, over over dairy butter but um i just kind of i stopped doing that for a while and i it, all, it also shows in the cookbook too yeah you know it, it really i feel like the amount of times where i just was grabbing because i was still developing recipes during the pandemic and i was like grabbing butter and cream mm-hmm. and cheese yeah me and too it was,
1: uh, <laughs> incredible
0: i was so happy and, and I, I i love what happened there but now i think i gotta you know Get a little bit feel a little bit better, feel a little bit lighter on I my feet. I think I'm
1: feeling the same way too. And I think part of it is that the numbers are going down for Omicron. So I've started going back out in the world again. So I've been like going to coffee shops again and like going to the gym again. And so it's like, oh, seeing people is a motivator to like try to like get healthy again. Because <laughs> people are actually looking at you as opposed to when you're locked in your house and nobody's seeing you except for your partner. So that's my theory.
0: I can't just be hiding um, indoors. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I feel warmer so I can be hiding over like a big puffer. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, okay. So in terms of your psychology and using your lunch as a prompt to explore your relationship to food, the most interesting part of what you were talking about was to me was this idea of like healthy and unhealthy and being disciplined versus undisciplined. And I guess I'm curious, are you somebody that, um, is pretty disciplined in your day-to-day life? Like in terms of like following a regimen and eating a certain kinds of foods and exercising, or do you tend to just sort of freewheel it and see how you're feeling and go from there?
0: That's a great question. And, you know, I will will tell you now, I I think, I think I, prior to the pandemic, I was very disciplined. Mm -hmm. I was disciplined in in many, many different ways. I think um, from down to like keeping, you know, my knives sharpened Mm -hmm. consistently, uh, certain techniques, rules. And. and and not to say that I'm like I follow the rules. I'm I'm very much I would I identify more as a rule breaker than a uh-huh. follower. But I would say that I, I am and I I was quite disciplined. But I think um, I think during the pandemic, it wasn't so much about not being disciplined because that almost feels like it's a negative thing. It was more of like being gentle to mm-hmm, myself. Mm-hmm. And part of being gentle to myself was really just you no. Know, no, I was uh, like eating a salad or having a grain bowl in the height of the pandemic when things were closed or it was winter, it's still winter. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel right. I I wanted uh, if, if food, you know, mm-hmm. in, in so many ways it brings comfort and that's yeah. what I was reaching towards. And and I think it's, it for me, it's less about being disciplined, not disciplined. It's about my relationship with food evolves, mm-hmm. you know, any kind of, a creative endeavor endeavor or things that I'm interested in. I hope as a human being, as a cook and not to like tie back to my cookbook, but like, that's yeah. a, the big blue line is to evolve mm-hmm. and to stay curious. And I think, you know, my eating habits, I, I think my, uh, fear of mine would just stay stagnant, mm-hmm. anything in life, but uh, certainly in my cooking and, and my eating habits, I, I want to, expand and grow and then shrink and then move mm-hmm. to the left, to the right. I don't want to be confined in that sense. So,
1: Well, it's funny because you talked about your knives being sharp, but like keeping your knives sharp. And that's a really interesting metaphor because you talked about working in restaurant kitchens. And I mean, talk about like discipline. Like it feels like in those spaces, you certainly have to like, con- you know, conform to a certain uh, order to things and you have to stay in your position and you have to like slice the carrots a certain way. So with that background, I'm sure it must be liberating to then be your own person and your own food writer who gets to write your own stuff. So there, I mean, you must have experienced some ping ponging in your life in terms of, uh, cooking food for yourself versus c- cooking food for other people.
0: Very much. So I think there, it was, a, it, there definitely was a transition. I, I remember leaving restaurants and then going into kind of test kitchens. And it was very, it was very clear, um, you know, who, and really I I found myself being one of the few people who came from restaurants Mm -hmm. and I've never gone to culinary school compared to a lot of people who like went to culinary school and ended up going into food media. And I think there is a difference. It's not a bad difference per se. It's just, it's just different. And I think I was maybe, um, Uh, I was very fixed on like structure Mm -hmm. and um, not even logical with my approach, but I think it was, I had like very clear sense of like, you do this uh, before you do this and then you do this. But I think what was great was shaking that up and having that foundation and that, well, I should say kind of this extended education Mm -hmm. uh, going to restaurants. I like to look as like my family was the first education I had with food. Uh Then coming into test kitchens where it kind of, yeah, it did mess me up. It's like, oh, you don't want your carrots uh, to all be the same size Mm -hmm. because that kind of consistency is maybe boring. You want a different, you want that irregular crunch. You want the photo to have something that is um, not so perfect. And you want to be a human. Like it's like it makes you more human and
1: not a robot. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean I've noticed like in my with my friends who are very successful, they tend to be the most regimented and they the most routine. Um, and I obviously you've been so successful, so it's it's interesting to hear you talk about your relationship to, to regimen and discipline and routine. For me, it's so funny because I've been trying to be more regimented for that reason. And so like now in the past two weeks, as I mentioned, like and now I'm going to, doing my work at a coffee shop in the morning, I'm going to the gym. And last night I bought a piece of salmon to make for dinner with some Brussels sprouts. And then our mutual friend, Ben Mims, was uh, across the street at a bar with his partner and they invited me out. And I ended up having a hamburger and french and it, fries.
0: yeah I mean, can I just like, just for a moment, Ben, Ben both of them, but Ben, I've known, Ben is the first person who I met in, like, the kind of food magazine media world, and I, what a just pure heart. Yeah. I love you to pieces. I owe him more than what he could even imagine. Like, I, I, he's been... Such an incredible human being, incredible cook, incredible writer, and an incredible friend.
1: He made me a birthday cake this weekend. I don't know if you saw it on his Instagram or mine, but he I th- happy
0: belen. Oh,
1: thank you. I I told him jokingly, I was like, "Well, I like vanilla and passion fruit," and then he made this cake, like the most epic cake based on like this Austrian bakery that had like piped meringue and passion fruit oh, curd. Yeah, I was like, wow, Ben, like you didn't have to do this, but he did, he loved doing it. But we're getting sidetracked. This is your psychology session. So uh, <laughs> well, I think a very obvious place to go here is to go back to your roots. I mean, you talked a little bit about growing up in a Persian family, if I if I heard that right. Um, so maybe can you talk a little bit about your childhood and and food growing up and what kind of food you ate and where you grew up?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm i from California. Okay. I'm from the uh, Bay Area. Grew up in Berkeley, Richmond um, for my whole childhood up until I was 18. Uh, first generation Iranian American. My parents uh, came to California in uh, the late 70s, 1977, um, which, you know, Maybe some of the listeners listeners might know that, but that's two years before the Iranian revolution. Um, So they ended up coming to the U.S. um, and they ended up staying. You know, they loved it so much and they couldn't go back home. And um, they started a new home there. And um, they had my sister, my older sister, and and then me. And I grew up in a household that has... um, very affectionate very um <laughs> this is so novel I meant to, I did not mean to go there but I think about my family and I immediately start getting emotional because they are um they're 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 good they're good to the core my, I think about my my parents they really um I think the worst thing they've done is they they gave oh, my my too much love they mm. they really are incredible Um, people, and it's such a blessing to have them as a parent. But my upbringing was when it came to food, uh, really just eating home most of the time, I will say. We didn't go out to eat a lot, uh, only for special occasions. Uh, Mom very much cooked majority of the week. Um, I would say my mother came from a household um, where there were great great cooks, really incredible, creative cooks, um, Iranian cuisine. I'd say my dad's side um, less so, Mm -hmm. but what they did have a knowledge of was very specific kind of uh, uh, areas of Iranian cuisine that my mother's side didn't really know. So Mm -hmm. I'd say my mother's, uh, it was a lot of the stews and the elaborate rice dishes, and salads, and yogurt sauces—so much of that, my my mother's side of the family were incredible at. Mm-hmm. And my dad's side, on the other hand, they really had an act for um, for pickles and mm. preserve jams so the combination was actually perfect
1: what a rich childhood you had to have all of that i mean i grew up in a family where nobody cooked so to like just imagine the smells and the i mean is there a certain like spice or fragrance that reminds you the most of your childhood
0: um uh, yeah i'd say i would say uh two specific scents um one is uh we say piaz dog dov means, uh, translates to hot onions. Oh. And you cook the onions uh, not until they're evenly kind of blonde or caramelized, but rather that they're soft but charred, mm. like kind of almost burnt at the ends. That will give like a, a strong uh, foundation and depth to the stews and the dishes. But then you add turmeric mm. and it sizzled, And it's that sizzled turmeric with the kind of burnt mm. onions that. It that's very
1: specific. Yeah, I like that. I'm gonna try it when I hang up with you. Okay.
0: Yeah, that that's that definitely takes me. And then obviously the grinding of saffron, dreads, mm-hmm. Persian saffron, Ana, in, uh, in hot water. Like that's such a distinct smell as well. And how
1: much of the cooking that your parents were doing in their house in Berkeley was their own attempt to recreate the food that they grew up with that they had left behind? I mean, was it was there a sense of trying to preserve traditions, or was it just what they did naturally?
0: Well, you know, I think it's like I could only speak for from my own experiences, uh, but I also imagine this would go for a lot of uh, many immigrants who come to the U.S. or, or go to another country. Their, the, their food traditions and practices is really the the thing that uh, they can bring. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they're able to source the kind of ingredient that they have back at home, you know, then... That's what they're cooking. So I think my parents they cooked that food because it was a way of preserving tradition. But that's also the food that they craved. Mm-hmm. It's the thing that reminded them of their home. And I think um, whether it was intentional, they were intentional about this or not, they cooked that food for my sister and myself, and and uh, I absorbed that. And my sister did not mm-hmm. the love for food and cooking. And I think it definitely influenced, obviously, the way I, I think about flavor combinations and cooking. I would never say my food is uh, Iranian Mm -hmm. by any means, but it's very much I pulled from kind of um, those flavors and and pantry for sure.
1: And did you enter the kitchen as a kid and like ask to help? And did you learn right away at the side of your mother or father, or was that later
0: that that emerged? I, um, I mean, I have some real proof of actual uncles and aunts and cousins to uh, photos where I've been obsessed with cooking and food forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, the stories that they tell me as like a toddler before I could speak, I would make up these words that represented certain Persian dishes. And I also had like a, a Fisher Price Kitchen as mm-hmm. a as a toddler as a three-year-old. And so I was very just something about it. Um, and I mean, I think in some ways it makes so much sense to me because I think what drew me, I can't think back when I was obviously two or three or four, but when I think about seven or eight or nine, where I, I could remember actually, it was instant um satisfaction. Mm-hmm. It was so instant the idea of like putting Like, and, uh, you know, I I don't mean to at all sound precious because I'm certainly not. But uh, just eating a a piece of fruit or tomato or a peach, that just tasted so good. Obviously, growing up in California, I was very lucky to have Mm -hmm. that kind of fruit. Then also eating food that just made me smile. It Mm -hmm. just made me me happy. Like, it was very much... um, uh, just a raw feeling. And I think when we were traveling or going anywhere, I think maybe kids, they want certain toys or go eat, go somewhere or see something. I I'll remember very well, like the thing that I always wanted was to go to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go to a restaurant. Uh, I'll admit it tend to be usually, I want not to say that I would get this. I would want it to be a fancy restaurant. <laughs> sure. And uh, that's that's definitely the uh, the gay little gay boy in me. And um, I wanted to just eat, and I wanted like different courses, and I wanted different cutlery, and I wanted to just see, and I was just enamored by the kind of how the movement, everything that was happening. We're very similar.
1: I was the same kind of kid. I loved, I loved the theatrics of it. I mean, I loved going to like a Broadway show or going out to a restaurant, but I'm curious, you mentioned being a little gay kid. And I have to ask because, you know, um, growing up with your family, like was, was your interest in food and cooking, did that read to your parents as like, oh, he might be gay or like, was there, was there a gendered thing to it or anything? Or did that, was that not at all part of it?
0: No, I mean, uh, no, not at all. And, you know, obviously each household is different and whether it's, um, but I, I, again, for, for my family, my, both my parents and my extended family, they were very um, open Mm -hmm. and encouraging, and allowed and gave me, provided me with, with the space to kind of, you know, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's, it's this idea where I don't feel like my parents ever necessarily told me I had to do something specific. They more wanted to have like a dialogue with mm-hmm. me and oh God, I really sound like a Berkeley kid. But, uh, <laughs> Let's have a dialogue. Yeah. My mom's
1: version of a dialogue was like to throw water across the table and like, <laughs> uh, no,
0: I, I was know they, 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 they guided me, but, uh, and encourage me, but um, I, no, they certainly never, ever uh, gave the impression that, you know, oh, you shouldn't go into being a cook or right. writing about because it's this or mm-hmm. you shouldn't make this way or never did I feel that way. I, I think mean, I'm projecting
1: were, onto you because my mom would not buy me an easy bake oven, even though I really wanted one. And so there
0: you go. <laughs> I also like I also was like I I was a very quiet uh it's a very quiet kid um which i think is you know i think a lot of uh, queer adolescents they they maybe they tend to be quiet i think that is a pattern Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh i think so my parents just wanted me to give me, give me space. They have this joke in my family. They still talk about it. And a lot of people talk about it. They're like, Andy didn't speak a word until he was three years old, which is kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some kids, they, they start talking very quickly, uh, but I did not. And I remember my mom saying something one time, just like, I knew that he was always going to talk. It just, whenever he was ready to come out and just like, and it's so true. It's like, it, it's still very much who I am now. It's like, it's hard. Uh, I I, if I'm forced, I cannot be forced to do something. I have to, it needs to feel um, right and mm-hmm. natural.
1: That's interesting. That ties back for me to your food, <laughs> foods that you crave and like cooking what you crave and speaking when you feel like you're ready to speak. Like it's like being true to yourself. It sounds like there's a connection there. Um, well, I think we need to now transition to... Going from an enthusiastic kid who liked food and cooking to a career in food and cooking, so like, what was the first actual move that you made in terms of getting into this business?
0: The first professional move I made uh, was one that had, you know, I, I it was it set me up in a in a sense. Um, I was a teenager and still very much into food and cooking, but no professional experience. And I heard obviously from. My family, really, I remember my uncle saying, you know, one of the most famous restaurants is right here. Mm-hmm. It's right in Berkeley. And I'm like, what restaurant? I had no idea. <laughs> and he said, it's the name is Chez It's been around since the 70s. And the woman behind it is very famous. Her name's Alice Waters. And I became kind of just oh, enamored and latched onto oh, that. Yeah. And I was like, And then I would like look at the restaurant from outside because I would go to cheeseboard pizzeria shout out to cheeseboard amazing pizza um but i was so drawn to it and i thought how do i work there what can i do can i i'll do anything and I, I think like still to this day i enjoy work i enjoy keeping busy i i i am not a i'm not good at a beach vacation i mm-hmm. i need to keep keep going and um i remember um, I think I found a, a contact email and I reached out and it wasn't the correct email, but they told me to come in mm-hmm. and I I did not know like who I was, how old I was, et cetera. How old were you?
1: 16.
0: 16. Okay. 16. And then I went through the kind of back gate, went in past and went to the right of the building, which, you know, wasn't the restaurant, it was the office space, unbeknownst to me. And I just kind of stood there, and I saw all these different kind of desks, and people were picking up and saying, "Japanese reservations, reservations, all this stuff." And then a, I remember a woman turned around and looked at me, and she said, "Can I help you?" <laughs> <laughs> I was so nervous and scared for some reason because it was by myself, you know, mm-hmm. and and I didn't know what I was doing, and I said, "I um." I want to, I'm looking to do an internship here. And she came over to me and I'll never forget. She was like, do you want to intern for the foundation? And it was the Chapanese Foundation, now called Edible schoolyard Foundation, incredible nonprofit, but I won't go on a tangent. <laughs> uh, and then I told her, uh, no, I, I, I want to I wanna cook. And she's like, oh, this is the wrong area. You want to be in the kitchen, in the restaurant. And she pointed me there. And then I went there walked in and then eventually I met with Beth Wells who is the person who I was emailing with and I think um, I don't know if she was shocked or confused but we sat down and we spoke and she was like you know what would you like to do like you want to return how many days a week and I had to kind of be like I'm in high school I could come Friday after school and I can come Saturdays the restaurant is closed on Sunday and um she said, yes. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, so I came in and started working in and, you know, and I do I do write about this, but eventually in my book, but um, it went from showing up very early, seven in the morning, prepping buckets of onions, mm-hmm. um, then eventually, you know, mirepoix for soups and stews and then toasting spices and screwing up many, many times and eventually learning the kind of correct way From picking herbs, and then eventually it was like breaking down chicken, Mm flaying fish, making sauce, making dishes, making sauces, finishing dishes, and um, making pasta dough, cooking rice properly. It was all these kind of fundamental things. And um, it was the greatest, it's the greatest education I could have imagined.
1: And did you go back home to your family and cook some of the stuff you were cooking at Chez Panisse for your family and said, hey, like,
0: well, it, look what I learned? It wasn't like, uh, oh, I was cooking Friday and Saturday, so I was too tired to cook. No, I was so, I wanted to go to the farmer's market that much more. I wanted to go mm-hmm. to this and I wanted to try these different ingredients. I wanted to still go to restaurants. I wanted to cook. I, I just was drowning and drenched in this um uh, this kind of high that I was feeling.
1: What a great incubator for you too. I mean, so you came from your family's kitchen where there was great cooking and pickling and stuff going on in that regard. And then you went to this next great incubator. It's like you got to be baked up yourself into pretty great ovens. So That's really cool.
0: You know, I, I, I will say that I don't know what it is. Um, and I'm very fortunate, uh, with, with my line of work and, but I've been drawn to, to, to places that I felt like would inspire me Mm -hmm. and I would learn from, you know, I think I never, uh, took a job or opportunity that I felt like it was just for, wasn't just for, just for money per se. Also a lot of that I did and learned the most from were things that I didn't actually get paid for, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was very important to surround myself with people who I, who I respected and were. I thought were very good at what they did, and that I could learn from. Because I knew, I knew, and I still believe, like that, being receiving that kind of education is very distinct, and you can't, you can't pay for that.
1: Absolutely. So, where did you go after Chez Panisse?
0: I ended up in New York. My dream, always knew I wanted to be in New York. Uh, even as a kid, I knew that the East Coast felt was was uh, was always calling me. I went to NYU. Hmm. Didn't go to culinary school. Um, but while I was at NYU, I kind of kind of went back and forth between working at um uh at some like very different gigs. I you know I did not come from money and I was going to NYU, so I needed to make some money. So I was like did the cater waitering. I did um uh what was it? Uh I worked at oh I took I took some funny uh jobs in Birbini just to kind of fit with my college schedule. And then eventually I got an internship at Silver Magazine okay. where I met ben, ben. met
1: ben. Okay. Got it. Yeah.
0: 12, over 12 years ago. The birthday cake
1: that he made for me was from his time at Sevur. It was based on a Nick Malgieri recipe. Oh, I love that. Yeah, from Ugh. an Austrian bakery. That's so funny. Okay, so that's how you started there. So the whole time you were at NYU, you, you were an undergrad at NYU. And did you yeah. know while you were there studying college stuff that like, ultimately you were going to have a career in food? Was that always clear to you?
0: Um, You know, I actually, I, I, I don't know because... I think I knew I loved to and I thought, okay, I can do this. I could go into this and it makes sense. But at the same time, like when I was in college and this probably is because like, you know, I went to NYU and I was at downtown and I was an 18 year old gay and I was looking for trouble all the time. (laughs) I kept myself busy. So I, you know, took an internship at Sever, and uh, that was amazing in many ways because it really taught me how to kind of test recipes and understood like what makes sense on how to write a recipe. It was very, the beginning of that. Um, and I also had like a long relationship with Severn. I came back and did more things, wrote stories and mm-hmm. developed recipes. And, uh, but then I also worked in fashion for okay. uh, a couple of years, uh, for about two years. So I completely pivoted and I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I, I still love that world, but more from a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I dipped my toe into that and was working in magazines and working for a stylist and working for a, a particular musician that oh. I, I will not name. Wow.
1: <laughs> uh, Give me one clue. If I guess it, you have to tell me if it's him
0: or her. She's, she's pregnant right now. <laughs> so, okay.
1: I know who it is. <laughs> I won't say it, but I think everyone who knows who's pregnant right now will, will know who that is. Wow. That's so cool. Is that, a, is that something you've never talked about before?
0: Um, A little bit, but I mean, I was obviously, I was assisting. Wow. Stylist, But still, it was a very uh, interesting time. And then when I graduated, I remember having a kind of talk, get together with my friend, mentor, um, David Tannis, who used to be the chef at Chapin. Sure.
1: I love his cookbooks.
0: Yes. Amazing. And he has a cookbook. restaurant
1: now in L.A. that I haven't been yes. to yet, the Hammer Museum. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so good. I went there early with Ben. Okay. And then... Uh, I remember talking to him and he, I said, he's like, what do you want to do now? You're You graduated. And I said, I think I need to go back into restaurants. I've remembered him just looking at being, looking at me like, what? <laughs> and I don't know. I, I felt very, I felt the need at, like, I was still, I still needed more. Mm-hmm. I still wasn't there. I, I had a lot more to learn. He walked me down a few blocks and we were in like Soho and, um, he introduced me to Ignacio Matos, oh. the chef of this new restaurant that had opened called Estella. Which is and my partner's
1: favorite restaurant, Craig's favorite restaurant. He loves it. So he's
0: like, if you're yeah. going to work at a restaurant, you should work at Estella. And I did. So I was one of the kind of early cooks there. Yeah. And um, so worked there, learned a lot, kind of through everything I learned out and got a whole new education. And for those <laughs> was... who've never
1: been there, I mean, like they have a salad there, like their endive salad. I feel like that's like their like emblematic dish. Maybe <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's like sure. a pile of endive, but underneath it is like a granola with like walnuts and cheese and anchovies. It's like the most insane thing. It has like an orange vinaigrette on it, but it's so good that I can't even like put it into words how delicious it is. But you were working really on good. stuff like that. That's amazing.
0: Yes. So I was there for for about not a full year, maybe like 10 months. And then um, I ran into a former colleague at Sever, who uh, said, oh, I'm working at this new startup company called Tasting Table. Let's grab coffee. Long story short, I got coffee with them a few, like the week following. And then he's like, oh, come to the office. And then he like introduced me to some people. And then he's like, oh, come here. Like, we're going to take, let me take you to the other space. And we're walking over. He's all like, "I put your name in to be the next food editor here." Wow, about to meet the editorial director. (laughs) I I have a very good relationship with him, and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just the kid. Like, I can't do this. Like, no." He's like, "No, just like talk. Like, you'll be fine. And you know, if you don't want to, that's fine. But like, I think it would be great." Um. Anyways, I had a long Great conversation with the editorial director at the time, incredible writer, Adam Sachs. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote, he asked for some writing samples. I sent them over. Um, We went back and forth. And then eventually I got hired and I was their food editor. And I was uh, part of this really great change of just being able to kind of, it was such a magical time. It was like, you know, Jamie Feldmar, Mm -hmm. Taysha, like there were some amazing people working and um, I was really able to kind of change the way the recipes were written, the way they were styled. Um, I was very happy with, uh, you know, what I was able to do there and the great team I was able to work with. And then eventually, it kind of—I think—that kind of got me noticed by Bon Appetit, and then that's where got uh, bon Appetit, uh, Brought me on, and uh, my role changed there from when I first started, obviously, from developing recipes uh, for the magazine to doing a lot of obviously. For the website and then launching Healthyish, and then Mm -hmm. occasionally hosting the podcast, being on video, doing a lot of travel writing. Um, it really kind of just evolved. And, um, yeah, it was, it definitely. Very, uh, the responsibilities completely changed. <laughs> well, it's funny because like we
1: talked a lot about your cooking history, but as you talk about your career, there's so much about media and writing, and even writing the writing samples to get your job. And I'm curious, we didn't talk about this, but like all along the way, were you also like reading cookbooks? Were you were you always fascinated by like r- recipes in the printed? Because you talked even about like the form of recipes and changing how tasting table like shaped its recipes, so I guess I'm curious like how what kind of material were you like looking at or influenced by growing up? I think like if I'm if
0: I'm being honest, I think the the first I think the first thing it's all for me. I'm like I'm more of a a visual person, Mm -hmm. so I have a strong sense of like what I want my food to look like. What something you know? I think that's probably why I was drawn to fashion and why I love design, interior design, and objects, um, and art. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of look at it from that standpoint. And then um, the writing, I kind of, that takes that takes time. I mean, writing at, at, at these publications, it evolved, but at the same time, you're writing in a specific style. Guide. Right. So I would say, like, the way I wrote my recipes for my cookbook has never been a way that I wrote recipes at Bon Appétit or Taste the Table or anywhere else, mm-hmm. because I wanted to make sure that um, I think recipes are looked at, and I understand it's it's a template and it's like you want it to work and you want it to be foolproof and that is the goal. But I also and I want people to obviously to make it, but I also wanted it to feel like people are actually learning. I don't want to be able just to make a recipe that just tastes good and. That's that. I want them to learn about maybe an ingredient mm-hmm. or maybe a technique or maybe both. Or maybe they swap the veg out and they try a different veg. Mm-hmm. Or uh, I want them to, again, learn and be curious and stay curious. And that's I really tried to kind of channel like as if I'm in the kitchen with the reader mm-hmm. and encourage them. So you'll notice that a lot of the recipes in, in the book, um, don't have this long prep list of like chop this, do this, do this. It's all kind of in the method. Mm-hmm. Um, so it allows me to kind of really kind of give instructions, but also like, you know, I, I don't want it to be strict. I don't want people to like, feel like they have to cut, cut, cut it this way because the worst thing that's going to happen is this mm-hmm. or this.
1: It's funny. Cause it's like, as somebody who like, blogged for a long, long time and now has a newsletter. Like I, I definitely like flirted with much more casual recipe writing in the past where I'm just like, Hey, just like grab some cauliflower florets and throw them into your skillet and drizzle in some olive oil and sprinkle in some salt. But then people would write me back like, well, how much olive oil? How much salt? How many florets? How many and it's and it's funny, like as much as I want to inspire people to trust themselves, there's also a sense that people want to know specifically, like what did you do so I can replicate that because I want your results. I don't want my results. And so it is a kind of a funny balance between trying to empower people to trust themselves, but also to kind of give them instructions to get the results that you got. So I'm sure that's something you've played with too.
0: I played with that a lot because, it, you know, there's obviously clear measurements. And times and indicators. Um, but I also wanted to um, I, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of uh I think I I think this is the line I I don't have the obviously the book in front of me, but I think it was for a particular salad or, or recipe, and I am saying like have the cucumber lengthwise and cut it into kind of um and roughly chop it or cut it into this size. No need to bring out the ruler for this. Right, right. Like, like, it's it's like when there are moments that people might think like, oh, is this the right size? I want to make sure that they're aware that, oh, no, there's no need to be fussy about this. Mm -hmm. And when it's like very important to like, I prefer, let's say, lamb chops unfrenched, like why am I calling for unfrenched? Because French, just a fancy term to like trim excess bad and some really good part of the meat in the, in the, uh, the upper bone area. And I would rather have it unfrench because you get to keep that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's
1: funny because it goes back to our initial conversation about discipline and freedom and like, and the idea of like a recipe being structured enough that people can follow it, but playful enough or like free enough that they have some wiggle room within it. So it's all kind of the same idea very much. So. He's nodding. If he
0: can't see, <laughs> <laughs> I keep, I forgot for a moment that we're like, recorded. No, I think um, <laughs> it is, it is, it is, um, I want, I want people to, to become better and more curious cooks. And yeah. I think, uh, it's not just, it's part of it is by cooking a recipe, but also by understanding the ingredients, you know, I think a lot of the recipes have if it's a citrus salad, I have like a paragraph on choosing citrus or a persimmon. I'm like, what are the different varieties of persimmons? And, you know, I do, I think that's like the geeky produce person in me or, or even with protein and seafood, I do that too. Mm-hmm. Because I want people to know like why they're doing this and why mm-hmm. they are able to maybe do this. if That's they don't really
1: have. helpful for people to understand that. I'm curious, like not not including the book, is there a recipe in your career that you're most proud of?
0: Oh, wow. That's a great question. Oh, wow. I, I, oh, that's, I, I don't think I'm going to ask that. I've been asked like, what's my favorite recipe, which is very hard, but like, I really, uh, <laughs> I stumped you. No, you know, oh, I, I, it you know, a recipe that means a lot to me is not actually my, is not my favorite recipe, but I think it meant a lot to me because it kind of proved a lot of people wrong. <laughs> okay. Tell me more. No. This sounds good. Um, you know like i know that probably like one of the more popular recipes i've i I've, I've developed have been like uh, my my bolognese recipe or i have a lot of pasta recipes or uh, a miso pasta recipe and i i've seen like these you made i see all the photos thank you so much for making it please continue to tag me uh, <laughs> but i'd say the one that was very satisfying was uh when i did a cuckoo sapsi um recipe which is a persian dish and not because it's it's Persian, pers- well, yes, part of it is because it's Persian, but it's just um, it's a egg dish that's filled with a ton of chopped herbs. And I think a lot of people are familiar with the mm-hmm. uh, that that know my food and my recipes. And it was a recipe that, like you know, it wasn't approved. They didn't want to go for it. It wasn't going to be anything. This is for Bon Appetit. So this is for Bon Appetit. And then eventually I was like, no, this is, this is something because mm-hmm. it's eggs and it's herbs and it's so simple and it's so satisfying and you can eat it hot, cold room temp on its own in a sandwich and it's uh, vegetarian and it's ubiquitous. Like eggs are ubiquitous in so many different cultures. And this is such a great way to get this out there. Mm-hmm. And I did, I made that rest. I developed that recipe and I did my own kind of version of it with a few different changes and I think there was a um uh, a video there was a video uh, that I made for it, that uh, we filmed for it, and it got crazy views great that's I awesome mean, it was just like blew up uh on, on I think it was before we even had YouTube I think it was like a Facebook video or something like that but it was just like huge and then my my family were like, we saw this video of you making cuckoo subs in Iran. And I'm like, no, this is so satisfying. Not just kind of proving anybody wrong, but just like, I want people to, uh, the best thing about food is not just that it can satisfy you and it tastes good, but that it opens you up to a whole new culture and a mm-hmm. whole new world. Um, so I definitely, I hope to you know do this with the book and and continue to do that with my, my cooking.
1: That's a great answer. I mean, it also makes me think about just listening to the voices in your head and trusting them and trusting your instincts and cravings and how that can pay off. I mean, I've, I've noticed like when we, when you talk about Persian cooking, um, like you'll sometimes say, you know, like, I don't, it's not what I want necessarily. That's not the only thing I do. And I'm curious, like has, in terms of your identity as a cook and a food writer, do you find yourself not wanting to be pigeonholed as a, as an Iranian or a Persian cook or like, how do you feel about that
0: very very much so I certainly feel like it, it's it's something that I feel pretty strongly about I think I think um, and I've spoken at length with a lot of people off the record about this who are first generation whether they're Iranian or not Iranian who are in in the food world and develop recipes that why is it that we have to be confined to the, our our ethne- the, the food of our our background mm-hmm. um that's certainly something that like I I feel strongly about like I certainly am I'm both my parents are Iranian I was born in the States I certainly don't want to just be cooking Iranian food from Iran and while m- many others who have lived in the states or who are not Iranian or who are are able to cook all kinds of different uh, mm-hmm. uh, food dishes and, and totally get away with it. And that's certainly, I, I w- would never want to, I'm not drawn just to Iranian food right. or to Chinese food. Although Chinese food, I do think is my, that is my favorite food. But so that's another,
1: <laughs> that's another podcast.
0: <laughs> I think I, um, I, I certainly don't want to be pigeonholed. And, uh, for me, it's, it's, my goal is not to necessarily just be some kind of vessel for. Uh, or other Iranian cooks or Iranian culture, obviously, that is a big part of what I want to do. I want to shed positive light to a culture that, uh, frankly, hasn't been showcasing the most positive light of, in this country. So that's something that I feel uh, very strongly about. And, and I try to kind of connect that into my writing and or even my videos. Um, but as far as my actual cooking, uh, no, I'm, I'm inspired in so many ways. Um,
1: well, um, this podcast flew by. I feel like we <laughs> we barely scratched the surface, but I feel like we got some good stuff in there. Before we end this part of the podcast, um, I always start with what did you have for lunch, but I end, what What are you having for dinner tonight is the last question.
0: I have no idea what I'm having dinner tonight. I am going to a restaurant with a girlfriend of mine that I haven't seen in so long, and I cannot wait to see her. I'm um, going <laughs> to a new restaurant called uh, The Nines, which looks very sexy.
1: How do you, how did you, hear, how do you normally hear about a new restaurant? Do you read like blogs?
0: Oh God, I'm, I'm you don't want to know this. I'm like a crazy list person. I have yes. like a, we in my Instagram. I have like Google docs. I have Google maps, starred folders. I'm, maybe I am still disciplined, but I'm, <laughs> no, I, I definitely enjoyed the research and, knowing new spots
1: and when you you go to a restaurant with a friend like this are you somebody who like grabs the menu and be like hey let me let me handle this like let's get this 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 and this or or i guess like for yourself then how do you navigate a new restaurant menu like do you try to get a lot of different things do you just grab one or two things what do you do
0: it really depends on who i'm um who i'm with i mean i think when i'm with my my partner he doesn't even look at the menu (laughs) <laughs> and that's that he, he and he loves that he loves that he doesn't have to think about ordering which is fine mm-hmm. um i'm happy to do that i think when it comes to um, my friend
1: ryan calls it food tops and food bottoms <laughs> yes. oh yes perfect
0: <laughs> but i think like with my girlfriend like she she knows she knows food so i want her to get in there with me mm-hmm. but then i have a lot of friends who're like we're gonna we'll default to you like you order and, and i think for me um, it's this, I order at a restaurant the same way that I, you know, create a menu if I had people over, uh, I want balance and I want mm-hmm. to range textures and flavors. And, um, that's what I try to go for.
1: It's so funny because I'm going to Boston. I think I mentioned this to you before we started recording. I'm going tomorrow. And and just like you, like I've already like made a folder of every restaurant that everyone recommended and stuff. And it's so overwhelming. But it's also funny because I'm starting to realize that like so many of the hot new restaurants in different cities all kind of look the same. Like they all, so many places yeah. have like handmade pasta now. So many, I mean, there's just like a certain kind of restaurant, not to say that all restaurants are the same, but there's a certain kind of trendy, hip, new restaurant that it feels like every city has one, If if you know what I mean.
0: Well, I, I, it, there's definitely you know tr- trends. Y- y- you see it not just in the food, but also with the design and yes. the way they're re- written and the, the way the dishes are described. And you know, it, it it comes in waves, and you know, it may start in like a bigger city or sometimes a smaller city and, and expand. expand. Um, but no, I, I definitely. Yeah, I, I know. I mean. Um, well, Andy, this was
1: so wonderful to get to talk to you. If you don't mind sitting tight, we're going to record a bonus ten questions after this. Oh my and God! Then you'll okay. be done. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Don't I'm be excited. afraid. All right. Well, thanks again for doing lunch therapy. Thank you so much, Adam.